Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, we are glad that you're back with us and uh, continuing to celebrate, not just on Easter, but every day that He is risen. I, I came across an interesting um, bit of information this week. A few years ago, a career recruiting and staffing agency surveyed employees asking if they'd ever taken office supplies home for personal use. I'm sure I'm not talking to anybody in this room today. Uh, Interestingly, nearly 20% of employees admitted that they had. But here was the surprising thing. The likelihood that someone would use company materials for personal use increased with education and salary. For instance, 13% of employees with a high school education said they had taken office supplies, compared to college graduates in which the level was double, 27%, and those who make over $75,000 a year, 25%, one in four said they had. According to Joshua Newberg, associate professor of business law at the University of Maryland, he says a sense of entitlement is the leading, leading reason for employee stealing. Entitlement, a sense of entitlement. Whether the words are spoken or not, I, I, I think we hear, maybe we even experienced in ourselves this idea that I deserve this. And it is increasingly common in our culture today. More and more it's happening. In fact, the marketers of Madison Avenue have discovered this as a very powerful and insidious tool to get you and me to start seeking and believing we deserve. Watch. And that's why you deserve the best. You deserve it. I deserve this. You deserve to be fired. You deserve a reward. New, improved, deserted. Heaven knows you deserve it. Yeah, you deserve a break today. Because, man, you deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve it. Let me suggest something to you this week. When you're home watching television, or you're reading an ad, or listening to the radio, see how many times someone says, you deserve this. You deserve this car. You deserve that trip. You deserve this meal. You deserve whatever. And see if you don't hear it, not just maybe once, but a whole bunch of times. Because... The world around us has discovered that in appealing to that part of us, we can latch onto that language. And in fact, we can start believing it ourselves. Of course, the question is who really says you deserve it? I mean, they sing it, they tell you it, but what's the basis for that? Why do you deserve it? 
Christian psychologist Dr. John Townsend tells the story of a a couple who contacted them about their 25-year-old son who was still living at home. Not necessarily pointing any fingers. Uh, He had quit college. He was unemployed after losing several minimum wage jobs. He spent his days playing video games. He spent his nights out partying with friends. And the couple had tried to get him to take more and more responsibility, to be motivated, to be kind of willing to move on and and do something with his life. And so they decided to come and meet Dr. Townsend. And so they got together, and Dr. Townsend said at the very first meeting, it became very obvious that the parents on one hand and the son on the other saw life very differently. In fact, they were, he said, polar opposites. The parents had grown up in a middle-class setting, worked their way through college, And they believed that taking responsibility made you a better person. Their son, on the other hand, had grown up in a more financially comfortable setting. And though he'd been given more, he had given back less. And in fact, had no interest in working. He just wanted to have fun. He explained to Dr. Townsend that he just wanted to get on with his life. But his parents just weren't patient enough and not encouraging enough. And and he blamed them for all his lack of progress. But then, as Dr. Townsend dug deeper, the the son finally said this, after all, why should I leave? And and he said, things are fine at home, got a nice place to live, having fun with my friends. In fact, the only problem is my parents' attitude. If they would just leave me alone, everything would be fine. And then he said this, and this is a direct quote, I'm their son, they owe me. Oh, me. I don't want anybody to raise their hand. But has anybody ever heard that? You know, again, the question is, who says? Who's the arbiter of that? Where is it written down? Who made that judgment that would stand for all, or for at least many? What we're looking at is what would be called an attitude of entitlement. Dr. Townsend in his book, The Entitlement Cure, defines entitlement as the belief that it's kind of a two-fold thing. First, I am exempt from responsibility. In our example, the son's saying it's not his fault that he doesn't have a job. He's, He's somehow above the rules and normal expectations don't apply to him. It's not his fault he's still living at home. It's, in fact, his parents' fault. They're the problem. And this approach to life almost always guarantees life failures, career failures. It just doesn't work out well. The second thing Dr. Townsend said is, the second mark is that I am owed special treatment. In other words, the son actually feels like he's somehow doing his parents a favor by staying at home, and they should treat him that way. They should be appreciative that he's still around, that he wants to be there, that he wants to live with them. The entitled person can feel like they've been mistreated and others need to make it up to them. And this sense of being owed can wreck relationships. Now, as we're getting into this, I want to I be real clear about something because it's kind of easy for some folks to, to jump to a different place. When we're talking about entitlement here, what we're going to be looking at today in the next couple of few weeks has nothing to do with politics or government programs, all right? The word entitlement has, in some circles, been used to describe tax-funded benefits to those who 
who may or may not deserve them, that's not the point of what we're looking at. We're not looking at government entitlements. We're not trying to say, make any judgments in that area at this point. So I'm not going to be talking about entitlement in that way in the series. The sense of entitlement that I'm talking about, in fact, occurs in rich people and poor people, in young people and old people. It's not a physical disease. It's an attitudinal disease. It says in Romans 12, 3, don't think you are better than you really are. I mean, the Bible affirms in so many ways that we are loved that we are unique, that there's no one else like us. You can turn to your left, you can turn to your right, there's no one like you. you could, there, there's no one else like you in this room, there's no one else like you in this city, there's no one else like you in the world today, nor has there ever been, nor will there ever be. You are unique. But because you are unique does not necessarily mean that then, therefore, you are owed special treatment because you exist. When we deal with entitled people, there's often the sense that they're, they're so special that they're owed. And, and we typically experience at least three common emotions when we're around folks like that. And, and, and they're hard to deal with, and it, it really messes with the relationships. First, they aren't easy to be around, and so it's easy to experience alienation from them, to kind of want to have some distance, and you can only take so much of it sometimes. Second, because they don't carry their load, it's very easy for us to get angry with them, to be upset. Why aren't you doing your part, whether it's at home or it's at the workplace or in a club or whatever it may be? And third, that we may talk to them over and over about their habits and practices that work against them, we tend to have this feeling of helplessness about them. It feels like everything that you have done to try to encourage them doesn't change a thing. It doesn't accomplish anything. And so we have this sense of helplessness, especially in parents and employers and spouses, because they've tried so many different strategies and techniques, and yeah, the situation doesn't seem to be getting any better. It's also, though, important to realize that to some degree, every single one of us has some entitled attitudes because we're human and because sin then has infected every one of us. So, I mean, before we start pointing the finger too quickly at someone else, what my mom always said, you know, you point the finger at someone else, three of them are coming right back at you. And so this isn't about them exclusively. It's not about looking at somebody else. However, it we do know that it certainly seems to affect some people more than others to the point of not just affecting them in this part of their life or in this area or in, in just in this, these particular work situations or whatever, but seems to be prevalent in most areas of their lives. You know, that's enough about me. Let's talk about you. So what do you think about me? You know, that kind of attitude of how can we then help Others overcome that, as well as address it when it shows up in our own lives. One example of entitlement in the Bible, of which there are many, one of them is found in 2 Kings chapter 5 about a gentleman named Naaman. He was the commander of the Aramean army. And the Bible tells us he had a, a, a skin disease. In some of the translations, it uses the word leprosy. 
But as we have studied the, the Hebrew language more, what we've come to recognize is that, that sometimes when those languages say, those translations say leprosy, what they're really talking about in Hebrew is a broader spectrum of, of, of diseases that affect the skin. And therefore, while it could possibly have been leprosy as we know it today, it probably wasn't because when people actually had that kind of leprosy, they tended to be set apart and not allowed to participate in it. This guy was the commander of the Aramean army. So odds are it is not that, but it's still a severe skin disease that affects his living. So one day a servant of his tells him that there is a prophet in Israel named Elisha who could heal him. Now, let me just kind of clarify here for some of you. Um, some of you have heard of a prophet named Elijah, and a very, very well-known prophet. Uh, in fact, he is the, the Old Testament of Malachi says he will come before the Messiah. And many believe that, including Jesus himself said, that, that John the Baptist fulfilled that role as the return of Elijah. Well, Elijah was a great prophet, one of the great prophets of the, of the Old Testament. Immediately after him was a, another great prophet whose name was Elisha. Elijah is E-L-I-J-A-H. Elisha is E-L-I-S-H-A. Don't ask me why they had to put them so close together. You know, one of those mamas just named them like that, and it makes it, it, makes it a little challenging. So anyway, we're talking about Elisha. And um, so he learns about him, and so Naaman puts together this big entourage. He's a military commander, he has his chariots, he has soldiers, and he shows up in front of this little bitty hut out in the middle of nowhere where Elisha is living, and he wants Elisha to come out and heal him. Well, Elisha doesn't come out. In fact, Elisha sends his servant out to him and gives him instructions that in order for Naaman to be healed, he has to go and wash himself seven times in the Jordan River. Seven times. Not once, not twice. And quite honestly, Naaman's getting really fed up. It tells us in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 11, Naaman became angry and stalked away. He said, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. And here we actually see both characteristics of entitlement in Naaman. First, in, in Naaman's own mind, he is the commander. He's the boss. And so people come to him, and they bow down to him, and he expects special treatment. And Elisha, this lowly prophet in this other country of this other religion, what in the world does he mean by not coming out and fawning at his feet and recognizing Naaman's greatness? It irks him. Second, Naaman felt he was exempt from responsibility. He thought this old prophet should just come and wave his hands and everything would be fine. Instead, he tells him to go wash himself, and not just in one of the rivers up in, Ar in, in Aram, in his home country. He's got to do it in the little, little Jordan River down here in Israel, and he can't just go in once. He's got to do it once and then twice, uh, seven times. Why should I have to do that? I'm above that is essentially the way he is feeling. He's looking for the easy way, and that is typical of entitled individuals. But 
But I remind you that we all know Naamans who seem to demonstrate entitlement in, in a lot of areas of their lives. And, and honestly, there's probably a little bit of Naaman in each one of us. The Bible says everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. In other words, I don't want you starting to think so much about that other person before you consider yourself. We're all in this boat to some degree. And so we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, nor should we think too lowly. We need to approach this and, and, and life in general God's way. And the reality is, his way probably won't be the easiest way. In fact, Dr. Townsend calls, calls God's solution to entitlement the hard way. It's a path of behaviors and attitudes that undo the negative effects of entitlement, whether we're seeing it in others or we're confronting it in ourselves. And, and here is his definition of the hard way. The habit of doing what is best rather than what is comfortable to, an achieve, to achieve a worthwhile outcome. And, and when you think of something being worthwhile, it might be in your finances, it might be in your career, it might be uh, in your marriage, it might be your family, it might be a, a, in a faith that works. It could be almost any goal, and, and you have always really a couple of choices about how to go about it. Entitlement pushes you and me toward the minimum, to do whatever we can to just get by, if that. And, and we shouldn't even have to be doing that. We ought to be above that. We ought to be beyond that. Sometimes here in the 21st century, we start thinking that, you know, we ought to be, we're, our technology is so wonderful, we shouldn't have to deal with certain things anymore, and our microwave takes too long. Entitlement pushes us to give the minimum only enough that we have to. Entitlement thinking could be called the easy way because it, it leads folks to find shortcuts, to find what I would really call short circuits and only do the minimum because it's all about me. Why should I do more than I have to? Why should I wash seven times when I, one should be enough if even that? See, in contrast, the hard way pushes you and me in the opposite direction, focusing on what is best and whatever it takes to reach a good goal, even if it's hard, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it takes longer and requires more energy on our part. I mean, it's hard to get up early in the morning and work out. It's hard to get to work on time every day. It's hard to do some of the drudgery that your job requires, especially if you're a creative type. It's hard to think creatively if you're very linear. It's hard to have those difficult conversations, to face tough challenges, to do some actions at your work over and over and over again to do your job. But as the old saying goes, it's called work for a reason. And yet it pays off just as sowing always leads to reaping. In fact, studies show that people who are happiest and the most successful are those who, who understand that doing hard things is often needed and, and, and they're willing then 
to do them because they like what it's accomplishing in their lives and in the lives of others. They, they run into hard things in their lives and they don't try to get out of it. They don't try to dismiss it. They don't try to say, well, I should be above that. I should be beyond that. I shouldn't have to do that anymore. In fact, this whole approach to life comes right out of the Bible. Jesus himself in Matthew 7 said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. See, a lot of folks want to reduce Christianity down to a set of rules and practices. And they think God should be pleased if they're even interested in trying to do some of those things. They think, well, God, you ought to be glad that I'm just in church today. That that ought to make you happy. You, You should be grateful, God, that I showed up today. Don't raise your hand if you're feeling that. But I want to tell you, God is not coddling us. He wants to point us to real life in all its abundance. Let me just tell you, that is not the easy way. In fact, the reality is the easy way really isn't the easy way. It's the harder way because it leads to dead ends and it leads to frustration and and it leads us to getting stuck in, in, in our work and never progressing. It leads us to find relationships that just aren't satisfying because we're not investing in them and, and life in general. I mean, who wants to go through life struggling to find meaning and purpose, to feel useless and unfulfilled, and at the same time, according to Jesus, also headed for destruction? Listen, Satan loves to tempt you and me, just as he tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, that we can be like God that we can know everything, that we can have everything, because we just inherently deserve it. And others, they ought to be able to see that, and they ought to respect that. In fact, they ought to work at it to help it happen in your life. In fact, God should realize that. Now, this, this whole entitled lifestyle, this easy way, quite honestly, is the harder way. And it's a way that is characterized by ingratitude that no one, including God, is giving me what I deserve. Maybe, in fact, God is giving you more than you deserve. You know, Jesus could not have been more different from that point of view. Even though he was the Son of God, even though he was in the beginning with God and was God, who, who would have more reason to feel entitled but God himself in the flesh here on earth? And yet here's what Scripture says in Philippians chapter 2. Though Christ Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to or grasp. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. On the very night in which he was betrayed, in which Jesus knew the suffering that lay ahead of him and his death on the cross was still before him, yet he took his disciples with him to the Mount of Olives to pray. In Matthew 26, it says, Jesus prayed, My Father, 
If it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. See, we've got to understand that Jesus wasn't seeking the hard way because he liked it or it was somehow fun for him, but because ultimately he wanted to do the will of his heavenly Father. That's all that mattered. That's what drove him. That's what led to his decisions. And for that, it led him to suffering and death on a cross. And if we think following Jesus means it should be easy, it shouldn't demand very much of us, it ought to take away all of our problems, then we have completely misunderstood the Christian life. Christians are called Christ followers, among other things, because that's what we do. We follow Christ, which was always his invitation to his disciples. You can go back and look at the Gospels, how many times he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And yet, who says we deserve it being easy? Who says it ought to be? Could it be Satan? Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus is telling us the Christian life isn't always an easy life. It's not simple. In, in fact, there will be sacrifices if we truly understand what it means to take up our cross and to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. And sometimes that will lead to suffering. But it is not empty suffering. It is not meaningless sacrifices. It's not worthless it is for a greater good. It is for abundant life, eternal life. In fact, Jesus says that this narrow gate is the only way to find a true and meaningful life. Uh, yeah, the, the wide gate seems easy. It's the world around us that says, you deserve this. You, you shouldn't have to work at this. You know, just take, it owes you. The world owes you. Jesus says, the wide gate leads to destruction. And what's more, he says, all too often, it's what's chosen. See, this attitude of entitlement for, for most of us is, is ultimately really a choice. Now, maybe not always initially a conscious one, because some folks are raised in such a way that, that it encourages an attitude that life owes them, that they're entitled to all they can get and more, that they deserve it. There, there is there's some parenting out there that has done that. But the question for each of us, in, in, as we are confronted by it, as we are faced it, no matter where we've been, the question today is, which way will we choose? Will we choose the easy way, which I would contend is actually the harder way in the long run, or will we choose the hard way, in which there's a cost, and we do have to put in effort, we are responsibility, responsible. Life doesn't owe us, and we, we have to work at it. And there are going to be challenges, and there are going to be times when it's hard, and times when it doesn't work the way we want it to work. But life does just work better in the long run. 
that way because it's God's way. I mean, the Christian life isn't magic. It doesn't happen if I walk through the doors of a church. It only happens as I follow Jesus the hard way. It requires discipline and structure to to commit my life to Jesus Christ and then to commit to spend time with him each day, reading his word and praying. It requires us to be in biblical community as we connect with others because we're not supposed to go on this journey by ourselves. We need each other. We need to hear from each other. We need to be challenged by each other. We need to be encouraged by each other. And that's why we encourage you to be in groups. Not because, gee, we'd love to have this many groups. Because we believe it is a fundamental part of how you and I Become more and more like Jesus, is walking that journey together. It requires us to look for ways to serve God by, by serving those he, he created because life isn't all about me. And, and we have dozens of ways that you can do that every week. If we're following Jesus, Jesus didn't say, have it your way. He, he, he didn't say, you're all here to serve me. In fact, Jesus said, I came not to be served but to serve. And if he is our model, if he is the one leading us, and his model is to serve, how much more are we called to serve? In fact, there is no such thing as a Christ follower who is not serving. It's an oxymoron. They can't, they have to go together. You cannot have one without the other because you're not following Christ. And so whether it's through dozens of opportunities we offer here at the church each week or, or it's out in, in mission beyond this church or it's in your community or in your home or at your workplace, serving is not easy. Serving puts you out sometimes. Serving means i got to sacrifice. i got to come early or i got to do something extra or i got to think about someone else rather than me. And that's precisely why it is so important for you and me. And it requires us to look for opportunities to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ. Many of you invited folks to Easter. That was fantastic. We love that. And you can continue to invite people on Sundays. We have coming up in a week and a half, we have our ladies' night out with Jenny Allen. And many of you are thinking, man, I need to go to that. I want to... That's going to be great. But let me challenge you to tweak your thinking on this. Rather than what am I going to get out of this, this looks exciting. Who do I know who needs to get more? Who, who do I know? What about some of the ladies at work? What about some of the ladies at the school where I teach? What about some of my sorority sisters or my friends at school? And I would challenge you that the point is not simply for you to come although that will be fantastic. But how many can you bring? One, two, five, eight, 10, 15, 20. Why? Because it's not ultimately about you. And as you and I engage in sharing, we are following Jesus. And there's certain things that happen in and through that process that cannot occur any other way. Yeah, but I don't want to wash seven times. See? We think sometimes, I shouldn't have to do that. 
I should, that shouldn't have to, not to be above that. No. We're all in this together. It's what a fully devoted follower of Christ does. And it takes diligence, it takes sacrifice, even sometimes suffering to follow him. But, the, but here's the thing. The hard way, as I said earlier, is actually God's way. And Jesus offers us hope and encouragement in that. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Jesus says that yoke is, is easy to bear, but, but he doesn't pull back from calling it a yoke. And, and, and a yoke was used to connect directly to the weight to be pulled. It was the work to be done. It, it says there is work, just as a horse is connected by a yoke and harness to pull a plow. Accepting the yoke of Jesus means letting Jesus teach us, letting him encourage us, but it also involves us committing to do the work. It doesn't mean you're let off the hook because if he comes alongside you, it's together now, but it's still the work. And sometimes it's hard work. But he still calls it easy because it frees us from so many of the heavy burdens of our fears and our frustrations of life that, that ends up otherwise seeming like a hamster on a wheel. We find the true rest for our souls. We discover that God's grace is actually enough. You don't discover that if you're always putting it off. You only discover that when that's what you've got and that's what you trust. That it is enough to get us through so that we're not afraid, we're not unwilling to go where he leads us to do the real work of meaningful life. Dr. Townsend said, God's ways will never fail you, even when they may make you uncomfortable for a while. Yeah, they may make you uncomfortable. Let's not back away from that. Let's not dismiss that. Let's not shy away from the road less traveled Let's aim for the narrow gate, and let's help others take the narrow gate rather than the wide one. Here at Gateway, we want to be a gateway for you and for those you know on this journey. And in the coming weeks, we're going to look at practices and habits that can help us help others, as well as ourselves, overcome entitlement. If you're interested in, in um, Dr. Townsend's book, on the back of your notes at the bottom is the title and the name. Uh, you can certainly welcome. Uh, there's no way that we'll begin to dig into all that he offers there, but there's, there's a lot of good things that are to be helpful there. And if you're struggling with that or some other things, our prayer team will be here in just a moment out on the, the wings to, to pray with you. They would love to do that. Uh, you can... Sign up for Ginny Allen after the service, and, and remember that we'll be serving communion, and so uh, we'll be doing that in here, and if you're going to receive communion, we ask that you would come and sit on the floor uh, after you get your children, or just come down and sit on the floor, and, and we'll begin 
in just a very few minutes, about three to five minutes after this service ends. And in the meantime, I'm going to be with some others out here, and if you'd like to come, and we'd love to meet you, especially if you're new uh, or Gateway family. If you brought someone with you, I hope you'll bring them over and introduce them to us. So you've got some choices to make. How do you go forward? But you've got some great opportunities. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your grace is sufficient. And, and when the, the way looks tough and when your way is challenging, help us, Father, not to shy away. Help us not to dismiss it. Help us not to feel like that we're somehow entitled, that we shouldn't have to do that, that maybe we think I've been in church all my life. I shouldn't have to still work at it. Father, break us of that pride and that sin. If we think I shouldn't have to give in to someone named Jesus, Father, I'd ask to break us of that pride as well and show us the strength that he brings to living and the joy, even in the challenges the harder way of going forward with Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would help us make the decisions we need to make to follow you wherever you lead us. We ask this, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.